Welcome back to Leading at the Point of Sale podcast. Today, our guest is Pat Waters. I'm truly excited about this guest today. Pat is a true titan in the world of human resources. She is currently the Chief People Officer at Procore, which is a software company in project management. She is a a service uh, advisor to Accenture, their Chief Human Resource Officer Forum. She serves on the board of Zenefits, on the board of El Camino Hospital. Did you know that I was actually born at El Camino Hospital? And uh, she's also was the chief C, uh, chief resource officer at ServiceNow and had various leadership roles at LinkedIn, Twitter, Plantronics, Yahoo. So clearly, Pat, you are an expert in this. And I have an understanding that you found your passion for this at a fairly young age, uh, just 10 years ago at the age of 19. So tell us about how, how you got into, into HR and why you became passionate about it. Well, John, you're now my official favorite. <laughs> so thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of um, ground to cover. Yeah. Yeah. I squeezed a lot in 10 years. Um, yeah. You know what? I I was not a traditional student in school. I was a CD student. I struggled. And so I pursued art and the sports to, to gain confidence and, and to navigate life, so to speak, during those difficult years. And in college, I went to the counseling session to figure out what I want to be when I grow up. Wasn't sure what I could do with, with my grades and, and how I was showing up academically. And they figured out I was dyslexic, which was mm. a gift. Mm. And then the second gift they gave me is they told me, hey, look, based on what you've told us and shared and so forth, your passion is around social work, teaching, and this thing called HR. And I'm like, oh, that's funny. My dad and my uncle are both in HR. So let me go interview them and really figure out why they do it and what they like about it, don't like about it. Let me do some research. And my dad worked for GM and he talked about the unions and things of that nature. And I'm like, eh, sounds okay. Not not great, not sexy. Mm. Called my uncle up and he was a VP of industrial relations at McGregor Corp at the time. And he's the one that just lit my fire. He was like, um, Patty, the on average, a company's operational expense, 80% is the cost of talent. And I'm like, what? And he goes, yeah, 80 cents on the dollar is the cost of talent in a well-run company. And of course, that changes if you're a service provider, you're not, you know, 100% the cost of talent. And if you are capital, like a semiconductor or, you know, automobile, you're lower. But he said, look, hiring talent, developing them, unlocking their potential, services you give them, tools, facilities, all of that's the cost of talent. So how do you leverage that and make that work in harmony and to the benefit of the company and the strategy? And that's when yeah. I'm like, I want to run all that. That's what I want. <laughs> yeah. It's funny coming right from the PL, like the, uh, the expense structure, but you've spoken a lot about you know, taking it out of the numbers and putting it in a more human context. And so you've been actually an outspoken uh, speaker and writer about diversity, inclusion, and belonging. So I'd love for you to give us a quick primer on that. And, and importantly, how has COVID in this crazy year that we've had sort of impacted some of your thoughts on that? Yeah, sure. So first off, DNI's been around for gosh, a couple of decades now. Inclusion's been around maybe a dozen or so years, and we still haven't made the impact we wanted. So back in 2016, I was asked to speak on a panel about what is 
DNI and how do I feel about it? And that's when belonging came to be. And I realized that diversity is everything that makes you and I unique, John, the seen and the mm-hmm. unseen. We've heard that analogy of the iceberg, what you see is at the tip. And I get all that. Inclusion is more the verb of how you invite people to the table, to the dance, um, how you pay fairly, treat people with respect and care, get a diverse panel for interviewing and a diverse slate and look for pay fairness and equity of promotion and opportunity, all that we do, right? But Mm -hmm. still leave those companies. It's that leaky bucket syndrome and belonging. If you have a true sense of belonging, that can be my authentic self that you lean into what makes me unique then I can unlock my my unique point of view. I have psychological safety. You'll have a diversity of thought and we'll get smarter as teams. And so that's diversity, inclusion, belonging. And, and I call it dibs, right? Mm, call it dibs mm-hmm. of belonging, huge passion. And with COVID, how do you create a sense of belonging if if majority of your employees are, you know, in a digital landscape? Yeah. That's been a challenge. And So 2020 was like, how do you create a more human connection through technology and where people feel isolated or less connected? And and what's been fascinating for me to learn is you can do it like through video. Like I've had thousands of people, John, in my home since 2020, more people than (laughs) I've ever had in my house ever. So it's cleaner. Your your kitchen's a lot cleaner. Yeah. (laughs) A lot cleaner. Yeah. (laughs) And you know, if you welcome people into your home, it's a different vibe. The kids, the dog, the cats, the husband, the wife, the partner, um, the the mother-in-law, whatever happens in life. Then you see pictures and books behind you and like, who painted that picture? Or what, you know, what book are you reading? Oh, I saw that book. That's the originals, you know, um, yeah. Adam Grant. And, and you, you get to know people at a different level. And if you spend the time, truly spend the time you'll get to know the human more than what they do, which is, I think, a gift. Yeah, it's fascinating. Even within my own company, we had this pretty significant offshore team uh, out of the Philippines. And, um, you know, we would have these all-hand meetings and uh, every week, and they would be in one boardroom on a, you know, video chat. We never really saw their faces with Zoom. We're actually getting a peek into their own homes and their faces. And it's been sort of a really pleasant thing in, in many ways to kind of get to know these folks. Uh, tell us, you, you actually at, at Procore, you've, you've uh, developed even events where you're actually trying to enhance that in some ways. Uh, tell us about what you've done sort of that. I thought that was a really creative idea to uh, take that to the next level uh, with, with your employee base and some of the events you've done online. So one of the team events I've done that was really impactful for the, the group was actually having an hour or two set aside for team building. And I was like, how do you do that on Zoom? And what we did is a scavenger hunt. We said, go off, take five minutes, find an object in your home that has meaning, a story, something that describes who you or your family unit is about that you're willing to share with the team. And so everyone went out, came back, and they did a show and tell. And this one gentleman uh, brought a wooden ship that was made, uh, scaled down from a really old merchant ship that was built in the 1800s. His dad built it by wood, by hand. Um, he did all the scale. It took him eight years to build. It was an amazing story about his dad and their family. They're growing up. I'm like, wow, I will forever remember that story. And someone else had something else super cool about a painting. And 
So we got to know these employees at a whole nother level. And then we asked them to go off into groups of three to four and take those objects and figure out a way together to survive on a deserted island or escape the deserted island and be creative and imaginative. And they had a lot of fun with that storytelling as well and co-creating that and coming together as a team. And the employees loved that exercise so much. They stopped using screensavers so often in their background. They, hmm. they, they felt more comfortable inviting us into their homes, which is a signal of safety. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting though, that uh, while people are, we're seeing people's screens in their homes and, and their animals, et cetera. So we get to, to know them, but we don't always really know what's going on uh, where people may have had to move to take care, care, care of elderly folks, their, their parents, or uh, there's big life decisions that are, they're that coming into play if uh, during COVID you know, how important is it for the employer to really know all that detail, like to, to go that far? Where's the line and how, how have you f- found tr- trying to help your employees manage this last year? Great question. I, I think we have to help. I think we have to offer to help and, and what gets disclosed is voluntary in some degree. Mm-hmm. I think if someone moves, we have to find out where they moved from a tax and a benefit support. I mean, We've had That's employees right. move and they and they would not get coverage or there mm. was tax issues or, or the right to work issues. And so there is a need to know from a business perspective, for sure. Then there's just the human aspect. I actually moved my, my husband and my daughter from the North Bay in California to Santa Barbara at time of COVID because we have elderly and disabled uh, sister-in-law that we care for. And so mm-hmm. I wanted them to be sheltered and we would do the shopping and care for them and doctor's appointments were needed. So I was one of those folks that had to adjust my lifestyle to care for others during COVID. And I was upfront with that story because I could be effective digitally working in a different location. I was upfront with the need and what it meant to me and the stress and the learnings I had. And that gave people permission to share their stories and ask for help in a way I didn't anticipate as well. Yeah. So a big topic that is coming up is, you know, vaccines are coming out and people are really starting to think about coming back to the office. Um, You know, just yesterday I was in a peer group, you know, CEO meeting where the topic that was discussed and where everyone was collaborating on is, you know, Hey, I just got this huge office space and uh, this lease that I signed for five years you know, I've got 40 plus employees, like, uh, you know, what should my plan be to bring everyone back? What What are your thoughts on bringing people back to the office? And, and uh, is the workforce changing, you know, uh, permanently? What are your what are your thoughts on that? I believe the workforce and how we think about the workday is morphing into something more agile, which I'm thankful for. The nine to five industrial revolution mindset is is shifting finally. We're not looking mm. at a parking lot for productivity. Mm. We're actually focusing on goals and and output and, and not where you work or what time it was submitted, as long as it was done on time with quality. And I think that's that's a trusting environment. I think that is up-leveling the game. In many ways, I think that based on what I'm seeing from surveys we've done in-house, as well as my peers said, let's think about it in buckets. There's about 20, 25% of the workforce will always be digital. They want the flexibility to work wherever they 
they feel best productive, you know, more inclusive with their family, their community, their lifestyle. There's about 20, 25% of the workforce that will always want to come into an office. They do their best work in an office. They love the community, the vibe, the services, and, and they can't be as productive at home. Maybe they have a lot of roommates, big family, who knows, right? And then you're going to have the rest of us as hybrids. I think we're going to show the agility in that hybrid role where you have them coming into an office space fit for purpose. And you're going to have, you know, nuances about, you know, destination of choice, innovation moments, team building moments. It's it's not going to be coming in at nine and leaving at five to be visible. It's going to come in at 10 for a 10 to 12 meeting, have lunch with some friends and then scurry on over to wherever at three to do work somewhere else. So I think it's going to be fit for purpose. I think companies are redesigning their floor plans. I think they're thinking about more collaborative space and a destination of choice, kind of like Starbucks did, right? Do you remember mm. when Starbucks came out with the couches and the coffee? People hung out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so I bring this back to the question of belonging. So you're going to have these, you know, three sets of constituents, one that are completely remote, those that are in, they want to be in the office and those that like this hybrid mode, you know, Starbucks model. Um, but is there, are you, are you going to run into issues with inclusion and someone that's on a screen is not going to get as much airtime as someone that's sitting in the boardroom? Like, how do you solve those you know, real potential challenges, or do you think they're real, the real issues? They were historically very real. My hypothesis is that we've chained ourselves new muscles to respect the digital worker in a way we didn't before. We won't mm. forget the people in the front row, which is on the digital screen. Everyone now is a front row. They're all equal. The Philippines you talked about, they, they have a front row to you. That's amazing. And I yeah. think you're going to be sensitized to that, John, forevermore. I used to, in, in you know, pre-COVID, have some of my team adopt those that were digital or on the phone to make sure their voices were heard. I don't think I'll have to be so intentional with the Sherpas of those that are digital to make sure we don't forget them. I think they're going to be part of how we operate in a more inclusive way because of this journey we're on today. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, they say that habits are formed. You know, you know, it takes 30 days, maybe 40 days. We've all had a year of it. So we kind of, as opposed to someone that's been working remote and someone's just been in the office all the time, we actually all have perspective because we were kind of forced to live that way. So I think that's, that is an interesting point that uh, we've been in those moccasins, so to speak. So we can now make sure that we don't lose those folks that are on, that are on the, on the screen. Uh, There is that sense of trust though is interesting too, right? So uh, is it's a trust there, the early COVID surveys have shown that a lot of managers, there's uh, 80% of managers were super nervous about false positives on productivity and really being able to really trust and manage their employees. So does this trust thing actually roll back to culture? And so maybe some companies don't have that, that strong enough culture, that enough trust. And so is that going to be a challenge for some cultures versus others? I'm noodling on that question. I think it's a bit of trust and it's a bit of leadership muscle because what I'm seeing even for myself is more rigor around setting the goals and the strategy up front with clearer understanding of metrics and milestones. So I don't have to be subjective in productivity any longer. I think we're going to really hone that muscle of accountability where maybe before we could bump into what they're working on and feel a sense of accomplishment or know the 
you know, the progress someone is making. I think that, you know, trust but verify will continue to be in our DNA. Mm-hmm. I think that we will stop being biased by the halo effect of, I see you more often, therefore you must be working harder. Yep. And I think that we've had false positives of productivity because people have nothing else to do. <laughs> so I we have to have a marathon mindset on what is reasonable workload and and not assume this is the same tempo pace once we come back into a more agile workplace. We have to be clear about those goals, what, what's a reasonable workload and what's the expectation of the workforce. So it's healthy mentally and physically. So the uh, we've been on on this road for, for a year and things that employees and humans don't like is uncertainty, right? They, they like certainty. They like to know what's going to happen. Some more than others. <laughs> uh, you know, there's different Brigmeyer profiles. I have folks that want to check boxes and know exactly what the rules are going to be. How important is it to declare that today? Like, so we still have uncertainty with like vaccines and uh, uh, whether there's going to be mutant versions of these viruses that are going to delay this thing. So what is your advice to CEOs and other chief people officers at companies to say like, you need, you should declare, declare now, like, and, and create that certainty. I think that you should be certain on what you can say, what you know, and what you don't know when you think you'll know it. And that's certainty enough. So yeah, we might be only able to say, hey, look, you have employee choice, whether or not once office is open, whether or not you want to come in based upon XYZ criteria through the rest of the year. That's that's clarity enough. Yeah. Or it is, we will give you an update in June and we promise to give you a 90 days notice when we expect people back into a physical location. Like, what are those guiding principles? What, yeah. what triggers X to Y? Like, what's your algorithm of thought? That's all they really need and to know what criteria you're looking at to trust it. I guess there's another another dimension to that. It's like it could depend on what audience you're talking to. So let's say you're talking to a recruit. You're trying to recruit a senior executive to come to your company and uh, they're current, you know, maybe they want to live somewhere uh, and they need that certainty of like, you know, are you going to be able to live with my circumstance, I guess, Um because my my current employer, uh, you know, who I'm thinking of leaving, is is uh, not as you know. I don't. I know that they have you know don't have the same certainty. So do you run into those issues with that group of people that you're actually trying to recruit to the company? Um, you know, during this time, the recruits are also interesting. They're they're challenging companies to think differently because they're in the mm. tip of the spear. They're not loyalists, so to speak, yet. And so we've had amazing talent, not only at Procore, but in my prior lives and my peers have seen it where they're like, hey, I'm really strong in, in this role. I don't have to move to city X or Y. I can, I've proven I can be productive here, wherever I live. And mm-hmm. so if you won't allow me to, to do my gig from here, then I'll go somewhere else. And so future talent is going to decide where they need the flexibility. I also think if companies lean in to more of a digital worker mindset and allowing that to happen where people have the capability and the maturity to do it, hmm. then you will get more diverse talent. You'll open up the horizon line like crazy if we do this right. That makes me excited. Yeah. And I always think about, I, I continue to think about different recruits. Like my, my daughter is just going into the workforce and she's just found a job literally this week. 
which is great. She's like, you know, did it all on Zoom. And then uh, they did have an in-office. They wanted her in office. They have separation. So she came in. She had a lot of anxiety going back in, into an office. And you would think like someone coming out of college really wants that office experience to meet that culture. But hey, it's still a little bit scary to, to kind of do that. So um, but there is that group of younger folks that may want that sense of community and that and not just be stuck at home, you know, in their new jobs and never really get that feeling of what it's like to work, you know, in an office. Yeah, they're seeking it. And, and you see it with the university students. They will, you know, argue and convince their parents to allow them to live near campus, even though they don't have in classroom classes. Yeah. <laughs> I know those expenses. Yeah. So what, tell me, tell me about what do you think is going to happen this year? What, what, you know, what advice are you, are you, would you give CEOs and other chief people officers about how to approach the next, you know, this year, 2021? What would, if you, if top, top pieces of advice and thoughts? I think what I would do is start with your mission, vision, and purpose as an organization, discern how your culture is manifested how you support your customers, where is the talent that enables you to achieve those things and and achieve success within your customer base. And then decide where and if you can create flexibility. Some organizations are saying, because we're so heavily engineering, we want our employees to be within, quote, commute distance of of the office. And that's the role. That's we need to be able to come into the building to collaborate and analogy was from HP that, you know, one of the engineers went into the coffee station and watched the coffee maker drip for a while, waiting for the pot of coffee to be made. And, and that created the innovative idea on how they do their ink cartridges. And so Mm. they, you know, the happen chance of innovation and how do you do that? So just think through carefully the trade-offs, right? There's no wrong answer, right? But be clear on why you're choosing what you're doing. And if they need to be commute, then define what is commute, right? Someone might not mind driving a couple of hours each way but and spending the night on a couch of a friend's house to come in a couple of days a week. But do you need five days a week in the office? Do you need those hours, nine to five? Like, what does that mean to be close to a facility and how do you use that time together? I'd caution to think through that. Pat, I really appreciate your time. Uh, you've been, uh, it's been it's been terrific to talk to you and speak with you. And um, you know, I really wish you the best with your with your company this next uh, year. And we should keep tabs. And I'd love to pick up the conversation about uh, dyslexia. I think that's super interesting. Uh, I have a whole family of dyslexics, and we have a different view. It's my I feel like it's my superpower. So maybe it was another whole conversation on that. It's my superpower. I'll tell you that. <laughs> no, it's mine. <laughs> it's mine. <laughs> but uh, I think one thing that we can say is that uh, having lived through this, uh, we step back and say, you know, what are we grateful for and what do we appreciate? And so I think breaking these these day to day rhythms that we have in the office is in some ways could be a really, really great thing because it shakes things up a little bit, gets us to think differently. And I know that you're a big proponent of that. So. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciated the dialogue and it made me think further. So I love that learning. 
Thanks for listening. One final note before we cast off is I want to thank our sponsors, which is NatureBox, dedicated to providing engagement, wellness snacks that can reduce stress in one's body using adaptogenic plant-based ingredients, and services to really help HR departments and executives motivate their teams with these wonderful perks at home. Don't take it from us. Take it from some of our big customers, Google, Facebook, and others. Thanks for joining. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time.